Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking about the 1983 fantasy sword and sorcery film Deathstalker. This was the first of 10 films that Roger Corman produced in Argentina. It was made on a budget of $457,000, and that's a lot of dollars for 79 minutes of movie. Yeah. But made just under $12 million at the box office. Primary reason for its box office success was Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. And there are three sequels to this movie also. And Deathstalker is played by a different actor in two of the four movies. Yeah. It's like the second one has uh, the guy from Choppy Mall taking over. And then the third one had that guy from uh, Baywatch with the cowboy hat. Right. And uh, it was that the third Deathstalker 3 was on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. It was like one of my favorite episodes. And then, yeah, Rick, was it Rick Hill? Rick Hall? Rick Hill. Yeah. Rick. Yeah, he came back for the fourth one. Right. This movie can be a little difficult to watch due to the first half of the movie being filled with non-consensual sex. So, yeah, fair warning. Uh, the movie doesn't really age well in that respect. It's total like a product of its time, though. Product of its times. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like crazy, weird. Everybody's topless and like uh, everybody's got a sword. Right. No. Movie produced by Roger Corman, like I said, who is widely regarded as the Pope of Pop Cinema, according to Wikipedia. Made a career of producing low budget cult films, and he made some very famous people in the process. Oh, yeah. He is known for launching the careers of uh, Jack Nicholson, producing his actual film debut in The Terror love that movie that was one of several films that he made like in a weekend in italy trying to produce the collected works of edgar Allan poe yeah he also provided starts to the careers of a number of directors including ron howard francis ford coppola martin scorsese and james cameron you want to be a director and you don't care much about getting paid roger corman's got your back yeah uh... <laughs> He'll, he'll, he'll help you, but, you know, it's going to be a growing process. Yeah. Directed <laughs> by James Spartalotti, who is credited as John Watson. Not a very thick resume for him. He's known for Reindeer Games, Running Scared, and another Corman film, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Also worked on Fletch Lives, The Beastmaster, and John Tucker Must Die. Those are all, so I don't know about John Tucker Must Die, but uh, there's a lot of good movies in there. Yeah. Movie stars Rick Hill, like we said, as Deathstalker. That's his name. That's his name. They Sometimes they shorten it to Stalker, but his name is Deathstalker. Hell yeah. He had recurring roles in Days of Our Lives and Today's FBI. He also appeared in a bunch of TV cop dramas, including Charlie's Angels, Magnum P.I., Matlock, and Hunter. He had some bit parts on Cheers and the Dukes of Hazard as well. Um, 
had some success as a writer, a ghost writer and director. He's played a couple years in the Canadian Football League, and now he makes his money as a guest speaker at leadership conferences. Go to rickhillspeaker.com, which is a website run by Rick Hill Speaker Incorporated, and you can hire a washed up sword and sorcery actor to come tell you how to run your company. I wonder if he comes in in a like loincloth and that sword just starts yelling at people and swing the sword around. Well, see, he's not nearly as muscular as he used to, and he's lost all of his hair. So I, oh. I think he needs to come in you know, wearing the loincloth and swinging the sword around because that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have Lana Clarkson as Kyra. She's got 20 years of B-movies under her belt, a few classic films and bit parts in almost every iconic 80s TV series. Oh, yeah. She was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Scarface, and Amazon Women on the Moon. Love that movie. On TV, she was in Three's Company, The Jeffersons, Knight Rider, Who's the Boss, A-Team, Night Court, and Love Boat. And then... Um, Tragically, two years after her last film role, she was murdered by record producer Phil Spector. And fuck that guy. Yeah, Richard Brooker as Ogress. He only has four acting credits. He appeared in a, an episode of the MASH spinoff, Trapper John M.D. He was in Deep Sea Conspiracy. And he played Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 3. That's the one that was in 3D. You remember when every third episode, third uh, installment of a movie franchise was in 3D? Oh, hell yeah. They did Jaws in 3D for like one scene. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those. Like, uh, oh, you know, like they got like modern 3D equipment and stuff. So, like, uh, I don't know why they don't do that yeah. no more. Well, I mean, most of the blockbuster films are released in 3D now, but that's about it. I guess, yeah, because like everything's in 3D. So if you made three in 3D, it, it just wouldn't work or something. Right. I don't know. Right. Now, if, you do, if you've got a budget of at least $280 million, then you can make your movie in 3D. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have Barbie Benton as Princess Codile. She was a series regular on Hee Haw as one of the Hee Haw Honeys for four years. Appeared in a bunch of 70s and 80s TV shows, including McLeod, Charlie's Angels, Chips, Fantasy Island, Murder, She Wrote, and The Love Boat. And in 1986, she had her first child, so she just retired from acting and modeling entirely and decided to raise a family. She almost married like Hugh Hefner twice. Yeah. She, she was like the one that got away from Hugh Hefner. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was pissed off about that. He ended up marrying a real estate investor. <laughs> Finally, we've got Bernard Erhard as Munkar, who is a prolific voice actor in the 1980s. You can hear him in a lot of classic Saturday morning cartoons. He was in The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Challenge of the Gobots, The New Adventures of Johnny Quest, The Smurfs, and the animated series version of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, yeah. That, that thing was a dumpster fire right there. <laughs> uh, to be a fair, though, it was based on a dumpster fire movie. <laughs> oh, man, I love those movies. But yeah, you're, you're right. 
body count for this film. This is a hack and slash sword and sorcery film. So there's a bunch. We got 25 people out of 20 credited actors dead. <laughs> we got a couple really good decapitations and a couple good blood fountains. Also, uh, like one count of awkward cannibalism. That's yes. Yes. Yeah. We, there's a monster in a box that we just never figure out what's going on there. It's really bizarre. <laughs> Movie opens up with a foggy shot of a bunch of armed people jumping through a window, cutting a stone wall as the credits roll and ominous music plays. We get the same organ music through the entire movie or symphony music, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, that's like from uh, one of Roger Corman's other movies too. Yeah, uh, I which one, but he uses that damn thing in like how all the Death Stalkers, a uh, couple of pirate movies and shit. The music starts out dramatic and ominous, and it never changes. It also never stops. <laughs> 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 uh, but this looks like a band of armed cavemen. They're known as the Creatures. Sneaking through the ruins of a castle, and all of a sudden they're outdoors in the bright sunlight, sneaking up on a man and a barely dressed sleeping woman that he has tied up there, and they're going to ambush the man. I, I don't know why. Maybe they want to take the stuff that he stole or what? I don't know. <laughs> but a foot chase ensues through the ruins of this castle. One of the creatures stays behind to carry the woman off. As the chase continues, the man sees a horse, so he runs for the horse. And just as he gets to the horse, the horse just walks away. And that's when Deathstalker emerges from a hole in the wall. Not sure what he was doing in there, where he came from. But he just walks out and says, hey, that was my horse. <laughs> Congratulations, I guess. <laughs> well, that's when the creatures catch up and the leader tells Deathstalker their fight is not with him. We don't want any trouble from you. We just want this guy. We're going to leave you alone. And the whole time he's saying this, one of the creatures has circled around and is trying to sneak up behind Deathstalker to bean him. It doesn't work. And we get our first death of the film right here. And then a sword fight ensues. After the creatures are all dead, the man tries to bargain with Deathstalker, telling him, hey, you can take whatever you want. I'll split it with you. Matter of fact, you can have everything. And Deathstalker says, well, yeah, of course I can have everything and kills the guy. <laughs> I'm fucking Deathstalker. That's what, yeah, that's what I do. Right. <laughs> so Deathstalker's not a good guy in this movie. I don't know what to th who I don't know who to root for at this point. Hey, yeah, he's just like a, he's, I don't know. Like he's, some kind of mercenary? If it, yeah, he's, he's a sellsword. But like, he's like a... Clint Eastwood, or, yeah, Clint Eastwood in those uh, man with no name things. He's just okay, yeah, yeah. I can see he's that. Like a bad motherfucker, no, you know, messes with. It's just what he does, you know. Well, after Deathstalker kills the guy, he prepares to have sex with the girl that he had captured. As in any typical teen fantasy, if I rescue you, you're going to immediately fall in love with me and do whatever I want, right? <laughs> well, an old man interrupts him. And while he's got Deathstalker distracted, the girl, who seemed willing to go along with him at first, uh, she takes the opportunity to just get the hell out of there. Uh, so much for the teen fantasy. I guess she wasn't, wasn't uh, 
wasn't ready to show that kind of gratitude. I can't blame her. Outside the ruins, deposed King Tulak has set up camp. Deathstalker helps himself to some food, which turns out to be roasted dog. He, he looks surprised, but he keeps eating in order to maintain his tough guy appearance. It turns out that King Tulak was deposed by Lord Munkar, and he wants Deathstalker to get into the castle and kill Munkar. Deathstalker's not too keen on that idea because an army went after Munkar at one point, and Munkar turned them all into sheep. But King Tulak assures him that one guy can get in there on his own and kill Munkar. In return, the king offers him anything if he'll just get his daughter back. But Deathstalker's not interested, and he rides off. Inside Munkar's castle, Princess Kodil is carried screaming to his harem's chambers, uh, where there are a couple naked women lounging in a bathing pool of some sort. And there's another one kept in a wooden cage and a bunch just laying around on cushions because that's the way they did it back in medieval fantasy times, I guess. Yeah, it was typical harem stuff. Well, Kadil tries to escape, but she's a weak woman, and the guard is a big, strong man, and he just knocks her out. Next, we see three mounted men. They're leading a man on foot who is tied behind their horses. No idea who he is or who these guys are, but uh, he's trying to keep up, trying to keep up best he can, but he ends up stumbling and getting dragged through some trees. He dodges a few of the trees, but he hits one head first, and that's when the guards decide, oh, we're done with this guy, we'll just ride off. We had enough fun with him, but that toy's broke now. They ride up outside a witch's hut in the woods. The leader, who introduces himself as Munkar's General Kang, demands that the witch turn over a sword that Munkar wants. Deathstalker just happened to be in the neighborhood and he's watching all of this and doesn't like it too much. So he rides in to attack these guards. The witch uses a distraction to turn her staff into a huge boa constrictor that wraps around Kang's neck with a lot of help from Kang and the witch. <laughs> the two remaining guards run to head off Deathstalker. He decapitates one unhorses the other one and kills him as he runs away. The witch has guessed that Kang really isn't Kang, but is actually Munkar in disguise. But he uses the power of the amulet of life to change into a bird and fly away. After, of course, he gives a cheesy magic speech. This whole bit with the witch and and Munkar turn, turning the staff into a, a snake and Munkar changing into a bird is like that. You remember that old Dungeons and Dragons cart commercial? Yeah, I remember. I, I remember the cartoon, but yeah, I remember they did that commercial. Yeah, yeah. This is what the what that was like because she just she, she pushes her staff toward Kang and says, "Transform into serpent." <laughs> and before Kang, Kang's being choked out by this big boa constrictor, but he has a way to get away because he says, with this amulet, the lifeblood of generations, I change my form and slip your grasp. He uh -huh. could have just switched into a bird and said, screw you, lady, I'm out. But no, I got to yeah. give a speech. But then Munkar does turn into a, a bird 
and, and flies off. The witch stands and watches this transformation instead of, you know, like hitting him over the head with something. No, just stand back and watch while he transforms. Um, kind of wicked witch style, you know, his, his hands pull back up into his sleeves and his, his feet pull up under his cloak. So you can see that he's, he's getting smaller. She stands there watching this while Deathstalker walks up. And, and when Deathstalker reaches down to get the amulet, the Munkar bird grabs it and flies away. Deathstalker asks what the amulet was, and the witch explains the three powers of creation, the amulet of life, the chalice of magic, and the sword of power. And when all three of these are controlled by one person, he'll be unstoppable. Deathstalker seems to know this witch. Because he just he calls her by name. She hasn't introduced himself, but herself, but she knows he he knows her name. And uh, he just comes into her house and starts going through her stuff. Like maybe this is a relative or something. I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're definitely familiar with each other. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, he just comes and goes, man. <laughs> Deathstalker is a little frustrated that this witch is only talking to him in riddles. So they walk over to her cauldron and she shows him where the amulet of life and the chalice of magic are. And it's a little weird here because while they're staring into the cauldron to see Munkar with the chalice, Munkar is staring into the chalice Watching Deathstalker and this witch. <laughs> yeah, you get like, uh, what do you call it? An infinity mirror or something going on where it's like <laughs> looking into a thing that's looking into a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the Sword of Power is the only item that Munkar doesn't have. And Taralva, the witch, sends Deathstalker to get it and reunite the three powers. She tells Stalker that he can do anything after he succeeds, kind of playing to his greed, which quite frankly, works like a charm. So Deathstalker rides off to find this sword. He arrives at a, at a pool of water, and he tries to get a drink, and that's when the witch starts talking to him through the pool of water. Hey, what are you waiting for? You can drink water later. Go find the sword. She tells him, look behind you. There's a cave. The sword's in there. To which his response is, well, why didn't you tell me? And she kind of <laughs> just did, dude. Well, Deathstalker crawls into the cave and encounters a slimy-looking monkey man. This is Salmaron, the keeper of the Sword of Power. He's been trapped in this cave for 30 years. It's, that's real funny when he does that. Like He, he kind of surprises that monkey man, and when he does, the actor kind of freaks out a little too much, and his <laughs> mask falls, and he quickly grabs the mask and puts it back to his face. Yeah. It's so corny and cheesy, but yeah, it works. Well, Salmaron will give him the sword if Deathstalker will help him leave the cave. But first, first you got to take out a giant drooling caveman monster with a big stone axe. The, the, when the fight begins, it's Deathstalker and his torch against the creature with a giant stone axe. It's kind of a lopsided thing. And the, the, the giant is playing whack-a-mole with Deathstalker until Salmaron gives him the sword of power and the creature. You know, Deathstalker gets the sword and it's kind of shiny and he looks down at his axe going, what the hell am I going to do now? Deathstalker doesn't kill the giant ogre, though. He just chases him away. 
Salmoron still wants Deathstalker to help him escape from the cave. It turns out he can only be freed by a boy who is not a boy. And, well, Deathstalker is not too thrilled now. He's got somebody else talking riddles to him, which is something he hates, by the way. But Salmoron grabs hold of the Sword of Power and does some kind of magic. And the next time we see Deathstalker, he's like 12 years old. <laughs> and so he leads Salmoron out of the cave. Just takes his hand and walks out the cave with him. Salmoron is blinded by the light because he's been trapped in this cave for so long. And he stumbles and falls right face first right into the water. When he comes up out of the water, he is transformed back into a human. Deathstalker is an adult Deathstalker again. Salmoron wants to know what Deathstalker plans to do with the sword. Well, Deathstalker tells him he's going to reunite the three powers, and then he strikes his Conan pose, you know, holding the sword two-handed above his head, because you got to have a Conan the Barbarian pose in any movie like this. Yeah, at this point, like, you, you totally get that this is just going to be a hodgepodge of, like, every uh, trope of uh, sword sorcery. It's like, it, it literally, like, just going through the list like check them off like. right next we see ogress he is riding down the road and he leans over on his horse to pick up some flowers when he hears a woman scream don't know why he was picking flowers maybe he just likes the flowers but then a woman screamed so he has to go rescue her because he's a big handsome hero she's being held by bandits and they attack ogress as he rides to the woman's rescue just as one of the bandits is about to kill Ogress, here comes Deathstalker right on, right just in the nick of time again. And together, Deathstalker and Ogress take out the bandits. After the fight's over, Salmoron shows up. He isn't going to help. He'll just come by afterward. And he decides he's going to free the woman that they had tied up. Ogress tells Deathstalker about the tournament to decide Munkar's heir. The winner of the tournament will inherit everything that Munkar has, which doesn't seem like much of a surprise to Deathstalker since Munkar is apparently immortal. You'll never inherit anything. The woman, once Salmoron gets her untied, is reunited with her young son, and the three men just ride off down the road and leave her. That night, they're camping in the woods. They hear somebody sneaking up on their camp, and they all three, they all go to investigate. There's a figure in a cloak with a sword who gets the drop on Ogress, but Deathstalker gets the drop on whoever this is, except he's not even armed. He doesn't even have his sword out. just walks up behind her and says, if you kill him, you'll die too. And that's, that's enough. Classic Deathstalker. Yeah, there you go. A sword fight ensues between Ogress and this cloaked stranger, and Salmoron mentions that he dreamed they would meet two men on the road. Well, during the sword fight, the stranger's hood falls off, and the cloak opens, revealing that the man is actually a woman with no shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> this is Kyra, played by Lana Clarkson. She's on her way to the tournament as well, and the only thing she wears is this cloak. Bikini bottoms and boots. That's it. I don't know if it's like she's such a badass that she doesn't need armor or that she's such a badass and armor will just get in the way of her like uh, sword sword skills or something. But yeah, it's just uh, she's totally just like pretty much just walking around in underwear and a, and a cape. That's it. Like, 
Movie, Underwear yeah. and a cape, like a like a four year old boy at a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I, I don't know. It. I guess they did that so they could put that like on the cover of the movie. Because I know. Yeah, and I saw this. I was like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to have to rent this. So the poster art for this movie was drawn by Vor- Boris Vallejo, who did every sword and sorcery cover from 1980 through 1998 or something. Yeah, he was um, also on. He did Heavy Metal Magazine a bunch of times and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But anywhere that there was a fantasy shot like this. And Boris Viejo did uh, a lot of that artwork. And so her costume looks like it's right out of one of his paintings. Yeah. He did this really weird Molly Hatchet album cover, too. That does not surprise me at all. It was like all of the guys from Molly Hatchet, but they were all like Conan. And it was just bizarre as hell. <laughs> well... As you said, Kyra is on her way to the tournament, the same tournament that Deathstalker and Ogress are going to. So they decide they're going to travel together. So they all go back to sit around the fire. They're going to be good buddies now. And Deathstalker and Kyra are making eyes at each other across the campfire. Back in Munkar's harem, all the women are asleep. Princess Kudil wakes up as a woman enters with a basket of food. They all gather around and start grabbing food out of the basket. But by the time Kudil gets up there, the basket's empty. So she just snatches a chicken leg away from somebody else and, and, and starts eating that, daring anybody to do anything about it. <laughs> then we see a young guy with his eye ripped out. Munkar has a little treasure chest on a table. The young guy's eye is sitting on a dish in front of this chest. Munkar makes the guy sit there and watch as he opens up this chest and a bizarre looking monster inside reaches out, grabs his eyeball and eats it. I think this is the scene you were talking about earlier. No, uh, I'm talking about the guy with the pig head that eats the pig. (laughs) I'm not sure why we have to see this. I mean... Other than they they might have paid the special effects guy to make a puppet. I don't know, but this doesn't pre- really advance the story. It doesn't show up anywhere in this. Well, it does show up one other place in the story that will. I think it's just to show that uh, Munkar is just like a sadistic bastard. And he's like, I'm going to feed this kid's eye to this hand puppet that's covered in snot. And make him watch it. And make him watch it with his other eye, yeah. Yeah. Well, a guard enters to tell Munkar that Deathstalker is camped outside the city. That's a good chance to cut back to Deathstalker's camp where he and Kyra have sex while Salmaron watches from a tree and giggles like an adolescent. <laughs> Next day, everybody's arriving at the castle for the tournament. The guards are chasing a woman who falls down and another guard picks her up and ties her to a line of other women to be added to Munkar's harem. Apparently he sends his guards out occasionally just to find women to add to the harem. In Munkar's banquet hall, we got a party going on. We got tumblers. There are a pair of dwarves who don't really do any dwarf stuff. They're just there in their costumes. Yeah, I was a little let down by that. Yeah, me too. We got mud wrestlers, though. 
Hell yeah. The contestants for the tournament include an amputee with a knife blade where his hand used to be and a giant with a boar's head. Most of the women are trying to fight off tournament contestants who are forcing themselves on the women. The boar-headed guy, he's busy eating. At the table on a plate is a roasted pig, and he picks the pig's head up. The man with the pig head picks up the pig's head, looks at it, and says, "Yeah, what the heck, and takes a big old bite out of it. <laughs> they, uh, they use this party scene in, like, after they filmed it in this movie, they used it. Uh, un, like, I can't even remember how many, but it's like every Roger Corman for like the next, or every Roger Corman movie for like the next four or five years had this scene edited <laughs> in it. Because that pig guy will show up in like, you know, two or three movies down the row, you know, like I know they have it in Death Stalker 2. I'm not sure about three. And the Wizards of the Lost World, it's in both of those movies. It has none of them. Like, there's no, like, they're just like, well, party. Of course, they edit out a lot of the uh, nudity and stuff. Right. And the other, this was like, where it's like just graphic as hell. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that whole scene with the pig eating the head and stuff is like classic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's also an older woman who is a fire eater and she's flirting with Salmeron very, very blatant, blowing fire at him at one point, trying to impress him. Kyra enters and claims Deathstalker for herself. She's getting all jealous now. They just met yesterday, but he's mine. Stay away. And Munkar is watching all of this from the shadows. Well, Munkar causes the earth to shake and then enter, emerges to welcome all of the contestants for the tournament. He explains that his time is nearing its end. The immortal guy is nearing the end of his life. And it's time to select his heir. And this tournament will decide who will inherit his kingdom. During the course of the party, a guy waded into the mud wrestling pit. Munkar says, we'll see who will take my place and whether good or evil will reign. And the guy in the mud wrestling pit just yells, evil. (laughs) So I refer to him as Mr. Evil through this whole thing now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Munkar then reveals his newest bride, Princess Kudil. She's fighting against two guards who drag her into the room and then chain her to a big rock. And Munkar invites the contestants to rape her. Um, he selects the boar headed guy to do it. But Mr. Evil tries to intervene. He comes out of the mud wrestling pit to stop the boar headed guy. Um, so a ball break, a brawl breaks out right there in the banquet hall while Munkar watches. He doesn't he doesn't mind that this is going on. He's got a plan and it's not to award his kingdom to somebody. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, Kyra gets in on the fight while trying to defend Princess Kadil. Three people team up on the boar headed guy, including knife hand guy. But the boar headed guy just grabs the knife hand guy. He's a little scrawny sucker. Just grabs him and throws him up into the air and gets his knife stuck in the ceiling. Remember how we used to throw pencils up in the ceiling and get them stuck in the ceiling tiles? Kind of oh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> My record's like 16. <laughs> David Letterman used to do that in the 80s, too. He'd throw, ceiling, throw pencils up at his ceiling. Yeah, I think that's where I probably got it from. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's where I got it, too. 
Kyra tries to fight off uh, a guy and free Kadil, but she isn't doing too well. So Deathstalker decides to get involved, sort of. He, he's actually just watching Kyra beat the guy away from Kadil. Then he uses his sword to cut through the chains they're holding Kadil. And this tips off Munkar that Stalker has the sword of power. It's the only thing that can cut through chains like that. So Stalker carries Kadil away, but he's stopped by Munkar and his guards. And says, eh, you think you were going to leave with her? Uh, for tonight, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, Munkar tells Deathstalker that he'll have her sent to his room once the party's over. And the comic fighting resumes, which doesn't take long before it turns into a pillow fight. I don't know <laughs> why we're having a pillow fight. Hey, party's got a party, man. <laughs> cut to ogress and a harem girl who has taken a liking to him they are in his room and he's ready for sexy time again i think this scene was just in there to show another butt most definitely <laughs> <laughs> now we see munkar in his dungeon the one-eyed boy is chained up there asleep and munkar just kind of ruffles his hair as he walks by <laughs> this is this is my pet. I cut parts of him off and feed him to my other pet. Munkar, in this case, is feeding fingers to his monster in a box. A guard enters and tells Munkar that Deathstalker's alone in his room now. He calls the, the monster in the box, calls him Howard. And, <laughs> and, hey, how you doing, Howard? And Munkar just slams the box lid shut on his fingers like he's jealous or something. This is my pet. You can't play with him. Munkar explains to the guard, because every villain has to reveal his evil plan to somebody, Munkar explains to the guard that the contest, the tournament is rigged, and he's just trying to eliminate all of his competition. He's going to let all of these contestants kill each other. And when the last one is too weak to defend himself, well, Munkar is going to kill that guy, and there won't be anybody who can threaten him. Now... It's time for, since Deathstalker is alone in his room, it's time for Kadil to be delivered to his room. But he's not going to really send Kadil up there. He wants the guard to go, go kill Deathstalker, but not as the guard. No, he uses the chalice of magic and he turns the guard into Princess Kadil. The guard is just really upset that his wiener's gone now. Yeah, it is. It that's a really awkward scene. He's like screaming, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. And like, uh, then he gets into it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, yeah, it's just so awkward. <laughs> it's funny a little bit at how awkward it is, but. Well, Munkar gave this guard slash princess a knife. And that's the knife that he's supposed to kill Deathstalker with. But. Not while he's holding the sword. He can't be hurt while he's holding the sword of power. You got to make him put the sword down. So see what we can do. As the guard slash Kudil is walking away, she looks back over her shoulder. This is the weird part for me. Looks back over her shoulder and catches Munkar looking. So decides to give him a show and starts really swaying those hips as she walks away. <laughs> yeah. Like he got into being a girl all of a sudden. <laughs> in Deathstalker's room, the Kadil guard tries to sneak up on Deathstalker with the knife, which she's doing a really bad job of hiding. Oh, yeah. 
Like I'll turn and face this pillar, but I'll hold the knife right in front of my face while I'm doing it. She tells Deathstalker that the handle of his sword is cold, so take it off. He convinced he he takes it off, and when he turns around to lay it down, she tries to stab him. So he throws her on the bed and tries to have sex with her. What else would you do with somebody who just tried to kill you? Oh, Deathstalker. But then he realizes something's not right. And this isn't really a woman. It's a man, man. It is. So he sends her away. She runs out the door and, and, and locks it from the outside for some reason. And that's when she runs into Kyra, who tries to rescue her, thinking that she's rescuing Kodil. But the guard turns back into a guard all of a sudden. And a sword fight ensues. Kyra disarms the guard and runs him through, but not without getting stabbed in the belly herself. Deathstalker comes to her aid, even though the Kadil guard locked him in from the outside. He comes running to her aid, and she just dies in his arms there in the hallway. I, I just died in your arms tonight. There must have been something you said. There was a lot of potential for that character. And they could do like a like a Conan Red Sonia thing, but nope. She's gonna show up, she's gonna get jealous, she's gonna die in that order in the next three scenes. Yeah. That they did give her her own movie kinda. Kind of okay. like Red Sonia. It was called Sorceress, and she plays uh, a chick in a cape with no top. <laughs> okay. And uh, you know, she has to fight an evil sorceress. So they kind of did that, but this, yeah, they totally just squandered her character in this movie. But I mean, yeah. they, they did like a lot, you know. Right. Well, the next morning, the tournament begins, and a guard is leading in all the fighters. And just like any good tournament, we're going to start with a battle royale. It's Hell hammers yeah. versus swords, and a couple of pro wrestlers, and the scrawny knife hand guy against a giant with a huge hammer. That scrawny knife hand guy, uh, he is acting like, I don't know, like a coked up squirrel or something the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. He, he's acting like one of the hillbillies on, on um, like Ernest T. Bass on, on Andy Griffith. Yeah, that's, he does like the Muhammad Ali shuffle and then he like rolls around in the dirt and he's like just like pretty much, uh, what do you call it? Shanking the hell out of like anybody that like, gets close to his knife hand. Right, right. Well, he's he's facing off against this guy with a comically large hammer. Um, <laughs> and he gets in close and he stabs the guy in the crotch. Uh, but that doesn't stop him. The giant smacks him on the head with the hammer and down he goes. And he takes that opportunity to just pulverize the knife hand guy. And when he gets done, there's just a pool of blood with some organs floating in it on the ground. And knife hand guy is gone. Yeah, like uh, over seventy-five percent of the uh, the contestants just end up dying in this one battle royale. Yeah, in royale. this one battle royale. Yeah, most of them are dead. Ogris gets a kiss from his harem girl for good luck, and then he walks out to take on his opponent in single combat while Deathstalker watches. He gets a cut on his arm, and as the fight continues, Ogris manages to cut his opponent's hamstring and then finish him right there in the middle of the arena. 
Later that night, Deathstalker is just wandering around the castle, just wandering around looking for something. I, I guess he's looking for the amulet and the chalice. Or, you know, could be finding a, like trying to find a bathroom or something. Yeah. Or, or get yeah. something, get something to eat. Who knows? Hell yeah. <laughs> I ordered Grubhub and the guy should be here any minute. <laughs> <laughs> Pulls up on a horse. <laughs> this food's all cold, man. Well, Salmaron is also sneaking around through the castle, and he sees a couple of guards dragging Ogris into a torture chamber. This castle's weird. It's hard to tell what's dungeon and what's castle. It's very easy to get lost in this place. Yeah, it's like they got like certain rooms. They got like the, the main room where they had the fight at, and then they have the harem room. Then you like the dungeon is where I guess uh Monkar like is feeding this kid that's like his room is in the dungeon and then i just they keep on using this one hallway and they'll just change that hallway like they'll right. put some light here or they'll like put a like a uh like a what do you call it like a big uh painting or something and they'll just move that stuff around to make it look like it's like a large castle it's just one hallway so well salmaron sees him take ogress into this room and close the door and as he's sneaking up to the door one of the guard pops out and yells, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and <laughs> and he makes a uh, he he makes a curly from the Three Stooges noise and runs off and uh, climbs through a window, which he jumps out of. They show an exterior shot of the of the window, and then Ogris falls into the bathing pool in the harem's room. <laughs> This Hell is yeah. this is what I was talking about, the geography of this castle throwing me off so much. He jumped through a window to the outside and landed in an upstairs bedroom. Yeah. It's really, really confusing. It's a confusing-ass hallway. Well, Munkar is torturing Ogris for some reason, but not really, because we find out that Ogris is, actually works for Munkar and has been working for Munkar all along. Munkar explains that the sword means that Deathstalker can't be harmed, but Ogris assures Munkar, I, I can kill Deathstalker. Don't worry about it. I'm going to get to it right now. Next, we see Ogris going to Deathstalker and telling him that Munkar plans to kill him tonight. you got to get out of here. And I don't know why, but Ogris and Deathstalker just start fighting there in the, in the bedroom. Yeah, uh, it's, like, it's like the movie's lost itself at this point. Yeah. It just stabs the, the sword down into the, the ground and they start like, I don't know, like bear hugging each other and then uh, I don't know, trips over and breaks the bed and then he almost thinks he's going to go for the sword, but then it's like, nah, and they just start punching each other and shit and throwing each other around the room. Yeah, I don't know what, what brought on the fight. You know, Ogres said, look, Munkar's going to kill you. You got to get out of here. I guess he turned his back and, and Ogres just tried to do something, but Deathstalker caught him. So it's all right, watch this. We'll take the sword off and it'll be just you and me, one on one, man to man. We'll see who wins. And Ogris has an opportunity to go for the sword a couple of times and decides, yeah, it's fun. Let's just keep fighting. Well, <laughs> Deathstalker gets the upper hand and he breaks Ogris's neck. He doesn't know that Ogres is working for Munkar. He doesn't know anything uh, is going on out of the ordinary. Just, yeah, uh, you lost this round. 
I guess that means you have to die. Next morning, the tournament resumes and Deathstalker enters to face off against the boar-headed man. It's staff versus sword at first. Then the boar man gets a sword of his own. Deathstalker cuts the pig-headed man, but then they grapple. Deathstalker's disarmed and the boar man is crushing him in a big old bear hug, but Deathstalker escapes, recovers his sword, and stabs the boar-headed man as he charges. Deathstalker has just won the tournament, and the crowd goes wild. Munkar's not going wild, though. (laughs) Back in the castle, Deathstalker's wandering the halls again, looking for the amulet and the chalice. Well, Munkar has him. He apparently also has a table covered with blood. Don't know where that came from or what it's for. Munkar changes his shape again. He turns himself into a captain of the guard, and then he sets the other guards to searching for Deathstalker. And when you find him, kill him. So the guards decide to search for Deathstalker by bursting into the harem and forcing themselves on the women while Salmaron hides under some cushions. Apparently, they need to make sure that that Deathstalker isn't hiding in somebody's bikini. (laughs) Princess Kadil has hidden a knife and she goes to killing guards, which inspires Salmaron to actually help out in the fight. Uh, For the very first time in this movie, Salmaron's got some backbone. One of the women from the mud wrestling pit runs out the door. She finds Mr. Evil and brings him to fight the guards. And he's only too happy to knock some guard skulls together. Even Salmaron gets a kill in this fight, which surprised me. Deathstalker's still wandering the halls like nothing's going on. Like there aren't a bunch of guards out to kill him or something. He is looking for the amulet and the chalice, and he finds the amulet hanging in a room, and it appears to be unguarded. But as he walks up to the amulet, Munkar, still disguised as the captain of the guard, is sneaking up behind him with a huge axe. I mean, a bigger-than-your-head axe. It's massive. The the blade on this axe would have made a good shield. It's that big. <laughs> I think Mon- it's just weird that, like, Munkar never fights in this movie. Until now. Well, I know, but it's like the, the actor playing Munkar is like, nah, I refuse to fight. And oh, right. Sort of, yeah. They're like, well, we'll just change him into something. Yeah, he'll change shape into somebody who can fight. But as a magician, he's a magician. He's not a fighter. But he can turn into a fighter when he's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally kick your ass. I just don't feel like it right now. <laughs> I don't want to change into like a guy to kick your ass. <laughs> well, he's got this huge axe, but first he's got to get Deathstalker to drop his sword. So he kicks him and he swings with the axe and misses. And that breaks the blade off the axe. So he drops that and pulls out a sword. Deathstalker fights back against Munkar. He still doesn't have the sword of power. That's okay, because Munkar's got a sword, and Deathstalker just twists his wrist and stabs him with his own sword, making sure to run it all the way through him. He runs Munkar through, but Munkar isn't dead, and he falls near Deathstalker's sword, but apparently, at this point, Deathstalker's part Jedi? Yeah, oh man. And he uses his telekinesis to make the sword just leap into his hand. Well, Munkar, this whole time, is very slowly pulling the sword out of his own belly. Deathstalker strikes a Conan pose again, 
and uses the sword of power to retrieve the amulet of life. Now, not only can he not be hurt, he's immortal. So he swings his sword, and I love this. He didn't cut Munkar's head off with the sword. He knocked his head off with the sword. Yeah, like a baseball, like a, like a T-ball or something. Like it's T-ball, like- exactly like T-ball. The flat of the sword hit Munkar right on the ear and knocked his head off. <laughs> but we get a good blood fountain when he does that. Hell yeah. And if you thought that was the end of Munkar, just hang on, because when Deathstalker leaves, we discover Munkar isn't really dead. He just reaches over, picks up his head, and reattaches it. But he doesn't look like a captain of the guard anymore. He looks like Munkar with that goofy tattoo on his head. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that dragon dick tattoo that he's got on the face. (laughs) It's some bizarre Hydra-looking thing, but imagine if a a prison tattoo was done by an eight-year-old with a Crayola. Yeah, it totally looks like he got drunk at a party and someone drew like a dragon dick on his face. So, I mean, and it's pointed out. Who was he thinking when he got that? Well, you know, like a lot of face tattoos, it usually does not involve thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it's Deathstalker versus Munkar as Munkar. We've had Deathstalker. Versus Munkar as General Kang. We've had Deathstalker versus Munkar as a captain of the guard. Now it's Deathstalker versus Munkar as Munkar. But Munkar just teleports him outside at night. And so he's standing in the village outside the castle. Um, And then we get a House of Mirrors type scene with a whole bunch of Munkars surrounding Deathstalker. That was pretty cool the way they did that. Yeah. Because it'd be like, it'd show him like, and it's totally that Munkar guy, right? And then they'll like hand the camera to the left and like, oh, there's Munkar again. And it's like, and I know they, you know, like do that easy with like CGI now and stuff. But like back then, yeah, like plan that shot out, and, like get everything right and stuff. Well, they, I, they did a few that, different people because there's spots where you see like four, three or four Munkars walking shoulder to shoulder up to him. And if you look close, one of them is totally a fat Munkar. And, yeah. and then there's a real skinny Munkar, and they're not all the same height. And so, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it is a good shot when it's just showing the actual real Munkar in various locations. Yeah. Well, just like any House of Mirrors scene, a Deathstalker is confused. So he just starts swinging at the illusion Munkars. He goes to swing at one of the Munkars, but it's not Munkar, it's Princess Kadil. And he manages to stop just before he kills her. Munkar has got the chalice of magic in his hand and he uses it to zap Deathstalker's sword, making it glow bright red and burn his hand. That's when the old witch Taralva appears and says, hey, dummy, remember you can't be hurt while you're holding that sword? She tells Deathstalker that, you know, this is just an illusion. You can't uh, you can't be hurt by that. Well, That breaks the illusion. Munkar gets even, though, and he burns up the witch. I don't know if she was actually there or if she was just appearing like a vision or something. Deathstalker manages to see through the illusion, and he starts walking toward Munkar. And while all this is happening, the villagers have come out to watch the fight. 
Munkar creates a barrier of fire between him and Deathstalker, but Deathstalker just walks right through it. Then he just reaches out and takes the chalice from a cowering Munkar. He says these powers have controlled people for too long, and then he throws Munkar to the villagers who just start beating on him. (laughs) They beat him down. They tie him up. They tie his arms and legs to horses. They whip the horses, and the horses pull Munkar apart in an explosion of blood. That was awesome. Just a shower of blood. Meanwhile, Deathstalker uses the sword to destroy the amulet, the chalice, and the sword. Roll credit. Oh, yeah. That was a wild ride. Yeah. It was a very simple plot. There wasn't a lot uh, of storytelling going on there. It was just uh, a simple hack and slash film. Yeah, like Conan did so much damage because I remember when I was a kid, you know, I was really into Conan. And right. then, like, so, like, you know, you, you watch the first two Conan movies and then you get, like, uh, Red Sonja. You know, what, what do you do now? Yeah. Thank heaven for him because he put out so many of these in the 80s. It's just, like, ungodly amount. And some of them are better than other ones. I just remember Deathstalker really standing out. Right. And yeah, the first one is kind of hard to watch. I mean, it is like this excuse to have a bunch of naked chicks and rape shit. And uh, they get better. The second one's like a cartoon. Okay. It's like uh, Deathstalker's Bugs Bunny, you know? <laughs> and the third one is almost like a Disney movie. It's so PG, you know, they try to make it family friendly and stuff. Uh, right. Well, I think they just barely kept this one an R rating. Yeah. You don't get to make money if you can't get a big audience in. But still, they made almost $12 million off of this turd. Well, the big thing was the uh, rental. Because, like, you know, you know no one's going to go to, like, you know, see this in the theater. I mean, people did. but like, Yeah, they did. I, I used to rent this thing, like, every other week, you know. And this is when... Uh, first run feature film tickets were probably eight dollars yeah um they collected 12 million dollars worth of eight dollars at a time that that's a lot of people saw this thing in the theater and like like you said the the rental was probably a whole lot more yeah Uh, yeah the only i think the only corman film that i went to see on purpose was follow the house of usher And I was reading that the studio approached him and wanted him to do two Poe, Edgar Allan Poe inspired movies on a $100,000 budget with 10 days filming on each movie. And he said, well, how about if I just do one movie for $250,000 and you give me 15 days to make it? <laughs> And it, that was nuts. And so Fall of the House of Usher was the product of that uh, negotiation. But this one, I can, I can understand why this, why this franchise is kind of cult classic. It, it's got all the parts there. It's just, you know, it, it's let's take a cheesy sword and sorcery movie and cheese it up a whole lot more. And we'll do our own Conan without Conan. Pretty much, yeah. Hell, uh... It seems like the second Conan movie kind of ripped this off because it, it uses the same thing, the evil sorcerer getting right. at this, and like they beg Conan to go rescue her and stuff. So it's like, it's like I don't know. They ripped off the ripoff movie. 
<laughs> you do what you can do. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.